0: Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening, and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. I don't have Corona, I am sick, so anybody wants to be really far back, by all means. I think they're past pass the pro phase, so that matters. Um, if you all die, you die in church. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to, um, we're going to do Romans 3 and 4 today. Um, I'm hoping that this week is maybe a little bit um, more simple. I want to take the, the analogy that we used last time. Sorry, I'm, I'm way too close. Um, what's that? Um, so, um, I wanted to take the analogy that we had last time and then just maybe reframe it so okay, that analogy could work um, to make sense of chapters 3 and 4. Um, so last week I was using the analogy of this card, right, in the company. I want to rework it to match the Gentiles and Jews maybe a little bit better. So instead of comparing two companies, all right, we're going to make it one company, okay? And that when the company was founded, the company policy and guidelines were clear, okay, there, there was not a written rule, okay, there was not like a here's how you eat at the cafeteria, right, it was just there's a cafeteria, and there was an understanding of how you should approach. Um, and if there were issues, they were kind of handled individually, right? So then as it grew, then people started doing whatever they wanted, okay, and I'm, the analogy here is all of humanity. Right as a starting point, that God originally didn't have a special people; everybody was 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 part of it. Um, so let's zoom in on the cafeteria just to make this thing easier. Um, so it was an open cafeteria, and there were general guidelines, but then people started being selfish, people overate, etc., and there was all sorts of issues that came from this misuse of 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 the cafeteria. So the CEO, which I really don't like business analogies that we're going to go with it. Um, Tries different ways of getting the people to choose properly. They didn't, okay? Um, or they wouldn't. And that's where he introduced these promise cards, okay? This is where the cards came in. Where everything went stupid, right? He's tried all these different things. So he makes this card, and he's like, okay, I'm going to make a deal. And he chooses, and we're going to see who that is in this readings today. I'm choosing somebody saying, all right, let's make a deal. I expect this kind of conduct and I'll give you a card. So the, the, this covenant, right, because that's um, what the Jews are boasting in, in, in Romans that he's tearing apart, is these people saying, oh, we're, we, we hold the card, right? And so with the card was um, parameters, is a two-way agreement, right? And that's why St. Paul, last week, we were reading about him saying there was two aspects to the law. God's faithfulness, okay, to the covenant, and your keeping of it. Right, so with this card comes a code of conduct, or it comes with a bunch of here's how to use this card the terms and conditions, the fine print essentially. Right, whereas again, if you keep these things, you get to keep this card. This card's not really yours, right? Like, the, like your Canadian passport, or it's Dianet property of Canada. Um, it says, I was reading through it, I don't know why. Um, it's like, this isn't really yours. Um, you get to hold it, it has your picture, it has your name, but it actually is the government's, and we can take it back if you don't do these things. Um, and so, with the card also comes some privileges, some of which St. Paul is going to talk about today um, in Chapter 3. Um, and so whoever has a card enters the agreement. Um, and then they get privileges for behaving as, as they already ought to. Right? Like the card, the card wasn't made um, because that made people good. Right? And this is where we're going to get into the analogy of, like that's why I'm switching with analogies to get there. Um, and so the CEO told me he'd give them special honors and that hopefully this would hope this would bring all workers in line, not just the car carriers, right, with it. Um, over time, people started using the car differently, right? Almost like the social insurance card, right? Where it eventually got used to check someone's credit. It wasn't originally made for that, right? Um, it, It developed other uses that man did to it. This matters because this is what happened with the Jews, right? Is that they were given this covenant, it meant something in this context, and then it started meaning more things. Regardless of whether those more things were right or wrong isn't the issue. It's that there was an initial context to it, right? It's almost like saying, right now you have a Canadian passport, oh, well then you know what, here's this extra perk, you can go into Europe without a visa right so it's not what the passport was originally made for but here's a perk that got added on to it Um, so the people with the card forgot that other people were still valuable to the CEO right that it wasn't just card carriers that the CEO likes right and that there was originally a context without cards Um, and so then people started worshipping the card right and the rules around The card. So, what we've seen so far in Romans 1 and 2 is that St. Paul is saying, It's not the card that makes God good. And it's not the card that made you good. Right? This isn't where your righteousness comes from. Right? You didn't become righteous because you were handed a card. Um, So, he starts off Romans 1 by saying, The workers who never got a card, they were dumb. Okay, they were dumb for rejecting it. They had all of these behaviors. But then he then flips it on the card carriers, right? And he says, you're all proud that you have this card. But actually the card is contingent upon two things. The CEO's faithfulness and your faithfulness. And so you've already broken the terms of the agreement. Your card is actually meaningless because you're being dumb even though you have the card. So clearly it's not the card that made you good, or you wouldn't have messed up, and you did mess up, right? And that's why he went through how they did mess up, right? And he goes, in fact, you were given the card to be an example. You were given a card specifically because I was trying to do, uh, to make you a light to these Gentiles, and you didn't. So actually, this card you're carrying is, is not only not the source of your goodness, it actually is a source of your judgment. Because you violated the terms and conditions of your card, Okay? Um, And then you can go further, what we're going to read about today, to say that God didn't choose the first cardholder for having the card. Right? The first cardholder didn't have a card. Right? And that's where he's going to get to right now, saying, if you think your holiness is from the card, it's not. In fact, the biggest hero of your faith didn't have a card. He was giving it, um, and so um, everyone had been unfaithful. So whether you're a card holder, non-card holder, everyone was unfaithful except God, right? That's that's being his driving um, force point. And so what he's trying to get at is only the CEO can make it right again. This is the only one who's able to fix it. Um, And so where we left off right was this question of um and this is where he's going to start from is there then no advantage to having the card right so this is the question of of, he's having this fake dialogue with an imaginary jew okay i was saying okay so the jew might ask me so why bother with cards right If, if, if this is completely useless um does getting rid of the card void God's end of the agreement, like, does it make God not faithful to this deal that He made? Um, and that's why St. Paul in this in Romans has a whole bunch of no ways, or God forbid, um, um, or in no manner, um, and he's going to cite a whole lot of scripture to go there, um, and to make a point that, as a matter of fact, the injustice of Israel, their lack of keeping the terms of the card even more so shows God's faithfulness, right? Where that in spite of them not doing anything they agreed on, if there was a rule saying only take one protein at a time so there's enough for everybody and everybody's stuffing their faces and some people are hungry, right? He's like, well, actually, you broke the, 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 the law and your recompense for me was contingent upon that and I still did. I still did, right? Which shows how real I am about it, that even though you broke the law, I kept my end of the bargain, right? That's what God gets to say. Um, and so then, I'm just giving you the, the, bird, the the bird's eye view before we zoom in. And so then they're like, oh, so what are you saying? Are you saying then people should be stupid so that we can prove how good God is? Then if so, then if what you're saying is that if you're saying that my badness showed God's goodness, what's the point of even judging me? What's the point of being good? Um, and so, and, and so he's having this imaginary debate. Um, so, without further ado, um, chapter three. Then, what advantage has the Jew? Or what? Or what is the value of circumcision? Circumcision being the analogy here of the car, right? Because that was the sign of the covenant. It was the sign of the covenant. So, what's the value of the covenant? A lot. Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? So what if people didn't keep their end of this covenant? Does their faithfulness, faithlessness, sorry, nullify the faithfulness of God? No way. By no means. Let God be true, though every man be false, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. A lot of people struggle with that verse from Psalm 51 um because they think it's god being judged and it's not it's just an english thing i was saying so that you prevail when you have completed judgment right so he's saying that if god weren't faithful then god can't judge right that he can't prevail in judgment because he's not just um so first he's saying in this section he's saying the car didn't do anything okay in fact the people um he goes, but there were benefits that the people received. First of all, they were actually spoken to by God. That's a big deal. Right? Like with them, he entrusted the oracles of God. He entrusted his divine speech to, his own revelation to, and that is a big, a big deal. Um, then he's saying, so what if some people were either unbelieving of the promise made by God... Or were unfaithful to it. Those are like the, the two aspects of faith. Um, well God was still faithful to them. Um, and he's going to address those who still don't believe in it. Among the Jews in Romans 9 through 11. He's going to actually return to them. Um, so with respect to the analogy, he's saying. God's allowing other people to exist. Like non-car carriers. Is a sign of his niceness. Okay, for lack of a better word. God's tolerance of people who broke the term of the card is also a sign of his niceness. Okay? Um, But then he's also dealing with the question of, are you saying that because people broke the law that there is no point? Are you saying that the king of the card is useless? And he's saying, no way. So God's being true is not being undermined by other people's whole thing. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole scriptural references, but he is making a whole bunch of scriptural plays here. Um, verse 5. But if our wickedness serves to show the justice of God, what will we say? That God is unjust to inflict wrath on us? I speak as a human. right? He's like, he's like I'm, let me play devil's advocate here um, with what I'm saying. Um, so here again, God's righteousness is his truthfulness, his fidelity to his own words, right? He's, he's, he's keeping to his promise. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my falsehood, God's truthfulness abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? So that's that question you asked me earlier, saying, if my being bad is somehow showing something good, then why judge me? Right? Then, 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 then to what end? Um, if God's benefiting from this, right, is what they're saying, that that this is working out for God, should he refrain from doling out wrath? Because remember that in Romans 1 and 2, he said the wrath is upon all of you, right? This, this, this encounter with God for wrong is on all of you. So he's saying, So they're saying, then, then, then can God show us that if he's benefiting? Should we do wrong things to make God look good? So then can He even call me a sinner? Um, so they're almost accusing Paul of being a relativist. Um, like, like this is a very modern, actually, kind of debate. Um, because basically to the question of does behavior not matter... In fact, shouldn't we just be stupid to just show how God is? That's what they're saying. Um, And and St. Paul's saying, no, that's dumb. Um, That's that's just dumb. Um, Because he's saying, my point is not to say, do whatever you like. It's to say that God is faithful. You're missing my point, right? You guys are having this debate about, oh, well, since he benefits, should we or should we not? And we have all these debates all the time. Right, where, where we'll get sidetracked by something ridiculous. Like today in class, somebody's like, Well, Christianity's always been provocative. So like, maybe it's good that we do this to be provocative. Right? And internally, my question was Is the objective to be pr- provocative? Or might it consequentially be provocative? Right? So if we have a debate about should we be provocative or not, we miss the point. We're not doing what we do with an objective of being provocative. We do what we do because we believe it's true and right. And if that happens to be provocative, cool. But we're not missing the mark if it's not. Right? So if we live in a world where no one's committing adultery, we don't need to start making up something to make it provocative again. Right? The m- mission accomplished. People aren't doing that. Right? So Paul's like, no, that, that, that's, that's dumb. Um, I'm saying, not me, Paul's saying, God is faithful god is righteous you gentile or jew you are not that's what i'm saying to you um verse eight and why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just so he's saying there are people who are actually saying that that's what i'm saying right so i'm not just making up this argument some of you are actually accusing me of saying that um and that's an important point, too, because I think sometimes we think it's okay to do wrong because there's a good outcome, right? Where we'll weigh things out and be like, yeah, but this one at least brings this resolve. I lied to him, but it made him think this or do this, and that was good, right? And, and that's, not, that's not right. Um, so... In a manner of speaking, what he's saying is that actually one of the most important advantages to being a Jew was us seeing the faithfulness of God. Um, It's a bit philosophical, right? Where he's saying, actually, so yeah, there was a good thing that your unfaithfulness, if anything, showed how really faithful God is. Even more so than with the Gentile. Um, Because with you, there was a contract, right? With the Gentile, there's no contract. But with you there was a contract, and you broke it, and he still was faithful." So then he goes into this whole coming section, verse 9 through 20, is just a complete, it's called a katena, or a stringing of different scriptural references, particularly the Psalms, um, where he's making a point that, again, nobody is righteous. And because some of these verses could be applied to Gentiles. He makes sure to make clear by the end of this section that it also applies to Jews. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For I have already charged that all men, I've made this accusation in chapters one and two, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written: none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All are turned aside. Together they have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's why he's saying, no Jews, this is about you. right?" Because he knew that the A well-trained Jew hearing all that scripture might say, yeah, but those are verses about Gentiles. So he's saying, no, 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 no. Because whatever the law says is being addressed to those who are bound by the law. That's you. The Gentiles are not bound by the law. They don't have it. Um, So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. He's like, we're all in this position. For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." So that last part is saying, it's not your membership card that's gonna make you fix the situation. Even if you abide by the code of conduct that comes with the card right now, that's also not gonna fix the situation because it's already been broken, the contract has been broken, right? So it's like, if you, sort of using analogy, it just works, if you committed adultery, you can't say, it is now fixed because I'm not presently doing adultery. There's something in the relationship that got broken. It can be fixed, but it's not that you just suddenly are following rules that makes a relationship fixed. That's what St. Paul's is trying to say here. So he's saying, you, you Jews, you're using this membership card, you're using your code of conduct, which is the law, and your rituals, and say... Now I'm good because I lined up in a single file like he asked. Now I'm good because I'm back to taking only one piece of protein and waiting until everybody had it. Now I'm good. He's like, no, you're not. You're not. It's broken. You're in the exact same place as this gentile was. Your card is actually useless right now. This is very contentious to them, right? very, very contentious to them. Um, so, what he's saying is, you're all under the power of sin. That's what he said in, in verse 9. Um, you become an addict. Okay? And I think that's a really important analogy for us to understand, if I can digress for a minute. right? An addict doesn't recognize reality. right? And it's not because they don't want to, they don't. It's the state that we're in, we're all addicted to something or another. In fact, an addict will often fight goodness. An addict will often fight help. Right? Because the, the addict wants what they want. And an addict has a tainted picture of reality. Right? And that will influence other thoughts, emotions, players in the, in the life drama. Right? We've all, on some level in our lives, been addicted to something. Right? Or we've all been, at least, if not presently, I know I am, like something so much. Right? That it allows us to see things wrongly because we want it so badly. Even if somewhere in us there might be something that we're wrong. If we live in it long enough, our wrong becomes true, to this whole my truth thing. Um, An addict will offer just goodness. Um, so when you live in a lie, um, it's hard for you to believe in, in truth, right? If, if you've had this particular way of living, it's really hard for you to see it in any other way because you are indoctrinated right, into where you come from, right? Like people thought the first people discovering microbes thought that they, they, they were considered crazy, right? It, it was a completely different worldview, right? In the worldview before microscopes, it was a theological problem that was not addressed because people thought this larvae were coming out of nowhere, right? Where it's like, well, these are self-creating. We should worship these as God. Okay. And no one went there, right? But it, it, was, it was a worldview that got rocked. Right? And so it's the same thing for, for us. If And to the Jew right, that St. Paul is speaking to, they're coming from a worldview of, we're the chosen people, we're the people of God, we have this promise, we have this kingdom. right. I think Christians were in a similar position until maybe 20, 30 years ago, where it was a Christian world. right, And so you could take for granted the Christian morality, you could take for granted um, a Christian ethic, because for, by and large, most people lived in that way, right? or at least proclaimed it to be okay. Now, for the first time, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you can't assume that the person agrees with you. You can't assume that they're coming from the same place. right? And so now you have to even think about, why do I think this, or why do I believe this? Um, that's where the Jews are coming from now, from one of their own. Um, so back to what he's saying, he's saying everyone's guilty. Okay. Of being under sin. Jew, Gentile, everyone, we are all sinful. Um, and so he's, he's, he's made this charge and he says that. He goes, that's my charge. So here is my, he's making this very legal, right? He goes, here's my formal charge. You're all under sin, right? Then he pulls in the evidence. His evidence is pulling in scripture, right? He's saying, here are all the places where God has proclaimed through the voice of his prophets that you are all under sin. Right, that I'm bringing you evidence of your own, um, from not being righteous, from not seeking him, from speaking lies, from not caring for neighbors. He brings in all the evidence here's why you guys are all there. Um, so taken together, the evidence and the charge suggest that whatever solution Paul proposes is going to have to deal with two things: personal sin, the mistakes that individuals have made, okay, and this general capital S sin. This bond is just in this state of sin, right? That this is, these are two things that are going on. Um, so there's a forgiveness thing and a redemption thing. Um, his verdict, after presenting the evidence, is you're all guilty. Okay? You're all guilty before God. And he uses the word guilty. Um, everybody has fallen short. Um, and it includes those under the law and those not under the law. And therefore, everybody is without defense. Um... And so then his logical conclusion of all of that is to say, so how do we fix this? Because it's not your card. That's his point. I know I keep repeating it, but that's his point of saying, your card doesn't fix it. This old covenant is null and void. Right? Because in chapter 1, he was laying the footwork of saying, there's a new covenant coming, and it's a covenant of grace. Right? It's not a covenant of, of works. Does everybody get it before I move on? I'm sorry to be a broken record. It's just that it's key stuff. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm annoying. Um, just for the point of honesty, there's some debate still. Um, I don't think it's as intense as it was a 100 years ago, to be honest, about whether these deeds that are mentioned by Paul as being ineffective, only refer to ritual law, or rather they refer to more than that. Um, most people aren't debating that anymore, but I just, for the sake of, of, of being honest and throwing that out there, for those who are interested, I can point you out some references about that. Um, so, this setting so far is dark, right? This is a dark beginning to the chapter, this is not like the hold hands and sing kumbaya around the fire. Um, And so now he's going to get nice, right? So now this section starts with the but, right? So he's led us to be like, you guys, we all really suck, right? And so that he's now going to move into, thankfully, God doesn't. Like, but God doesn't suck. In spite of us, God doesn't. Um, So he's going to give a positive explanation now um, of God's work. Um, and that there's now a new period in human history that's beginning, right? That, that through Jesus Christ, um, God has taken the initiative, right? That God could have said, well, they suck, what can I do? I've got crappy kids, right? And so he's, he's gonna say, well, that's not actually how God does things. Um, and so not only did he not wait for us to come begging him, God initiated a restoration and a fixing of this relationship, right? That God, no one compelled him to come down. He came down, right? And and then we're going to get through now the righteousness that comes through faith, right? The the justification (coughs) by faith, which means the being made right through faith, right? It's the being fixed. Um, it's not about a, just a personal. How do I get better? And we'll come to why it's not that in a moment. But now is the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law. God's okay. God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, is not shown in this car. Is what he's starting off this section is it? That's not how God's righteousness is shown. Even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, so even though the card was a testimony, indeed, of God's righteousness. Sorry, just to clarify, when you say card, every time you mean journey. Right? Yes, okay. right. So the sign of circumcision, right? are saying this, this, your like. I'm just to not keep on saying circumcision. This, this thing that you're wielding, it's not it. The righteousness of God through faith. This is a contested translation. In Jesus Christ, um, many today of all denominations would rather translate that more properly, not because of a preference, through faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the word of God. You are a Gentile. They are justified. They are made right by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption, that's the capital S sin issue we're talking about, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness or faithfulness, God's adhikeosini, because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that, or faithful, and that he makes right him who has faith in or of Jesus. What's going on here? This is the faithfulness for faithfulness he talked to in chapter 1. The faithful faith. He's saying that God's faithfulness to the covenant, God's faithfulness to us as his people, irrespective of what we did, demands our response of faithfulness to him. It's not the car that does it. It's that he did this that demands a response from us. Um, to make sense of this, right, then, again, is the reading of this is the faithfulness of Christ. The faithfulness and righteousness of Christ. Um, so, what he's saying. Number one, what has been shown? God's faithfulness. Because he's making us right. He's making us right in spite of what we did. How or where, how is he doing this? In Christ's faithfulness, which he equates with his death. Right? I was saying, Christ is that way that God showed his faithfulness to us. Why? Because we as humanity, we weren't able to do it right? We weren't able to keep our end of the covenant. And so then God said, I will become you and I'll do it for you, in you and through you, right? I will do it. And so this is God's faithfulness, not, not ours, that he does on behalf of us. And who is it for? He's saying anybody now. This is a big leaping statement that St. Paul's making. Anybody who responds with faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Anybody who accepts this gospel, right, and who lives the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Um, so you can have a debate about baptism, um, but it won't be based on Romans, because Romans isn't saying sola fide, right? Romans is not saying faith alone. Romans is explaining God's fide, Right? Romans is explaining God's faithfulness. Um, and God's faithfulness is not the law. The law was made for man. The reason for making those cards was because men were behaving stupidly, right? So it wasn't that God said, here, let me make a card that shows you that I'm good. It was God saying, you're messing up, I'll make you a card to help you, right? And so then the rules associated with the company and then with the card. Those weren't themselves God's faithfulness and righteousness. It's above that. Even though the card was good. Even though the card had a point. That's why Paul's not saying Judaism is stupid. He's like, I'm a Jew and I'm proud of it, Right? Um, He's saying that there's a point to that. Even the prophets wrote about it. Um, But that they were not the end. The real person who was actually faithful to God, our response to the covenant, was Jesus. Okay, His death shows God's righteousness. Not just making it right, but also in that he's not making sin okay. Right? Is that Christ didn't come down and be like, all you're doing is okay, don't worry about it. Right? I'm here to just tell you, you're good. You're all good now. That's not what he did. He actually came and he condemned sin. And he says, no, this is wrong. And that's why he says, if you want to have life habit like this, and he says, be ye imitators of me. Right, be perfect. So he's not, he's not saying you were bad and I'm calling you good. He's saying I'm fixing this relationship. Now you can be good. You couldn't before. Now you can. Um, That's why it's not deeds alone, because just doing the works of the law didn't make the relationship right. And it's not saying you're good, God, either. It's not faith alone. Right is that there's, there's this, this jointness of it. They're released from the state of sin through Christ's redemption. So we were alienated from God <clears throat> by our decisions, and it is Christ who makes us not alienated anymore. So what is this justification? It's being made holy. It's being freed from the bond of sin. It's not being called Free. It's being free. It's not just some special word that you got this new status. It's an actual thing that occurred. And it means that we're being what we were meant to be. It's bringing us back to our first day. It's bringing us back to how we were before we needed a card. He's taking us back to being Adam and Eve in that garden. Right? It all starts and ends and returns to the paradise. Right, um, because that's how things are meant to be God didn't want a membership card that was not ever his plan he didn't want to deal with one group of people he wanted everybody right and so he's saying I'm, I'm, I as Christ I'm bringing you back to the world. and so in verse 25 God put forward God has given a sacrifice of atonement Um, and this is so, like, visually stunning, especially to a Jew, because now they're having this image of the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, right? They have this image of this sacred place that nobody can enter because that's from where God speaks. Um, and in this tent, in this meeting place of the Holy of Holies, um, that was the contact point between heaven and earth. Right? And now Paul is placing this in Christ, right? like we were talking in the Gospel of John. Um, and so now, the sins of the people, what they were used to, had, were defiling not only themselves, but the holy places, because they were contaminated. And so now there's this rite of atonement that he's alluding to, of when the priest would go in and it would be the sacrificial lamb that has no blemish. is <clears> definition of atonement? The definition, um, it's to. This is a very complicated question because it, it's got its own theories about it. The, the basis of it, to not get too complicated, is there's a debt and it's being removed. Okay, to so not get too into it because it's just argumentative. Um, so the priest would go in offering this lamb, but there'd be this other ritual that would be happening at the same time. And their atonement had two aspects to it. There's this, the, the blood sacrifice that's being made, but there's also the scapegoat that's going on, where there's another lamb that's let go. And it was an understanding that we were supposed to die, but we got away. This lamb died, right? And so Paul's saying that Christ, right? His death is your scapegoat, right? He's, he's linking looking it back, um, and because of him, you are liberated from your personal sins and from the status of sin. He's he's fixing; both are fixed um, in the person of Christ. So now he's saying, so who can access this? Anyone. Right? Now he's saying anybody. That was verse 22 and 3. The image of his glory is us. We're his image and likeness. So what he's done is said, I'm going to go and fix it. We have this problem. The relationship is broken. They can't fix it. They're diseased. They can't fix it. I can. So I will. Right? It's not... It's not something I'm just going to think about. Um, and now anybody who wants can have access through me. This card is now void and null. I'm canceling the system of the card. I am the access point. Now the card of access is Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not your membership card. It's now Christ. Um, Everything is overpowered through the faithfulness of Christ. Why? Because he kept the covenant. He kept the faithfulness of God from both sides. Because being incarnate, he's fully God and he kept the faithfulness of God. Being fully man, he kept the faithfulness of man. That is why it is made right in the person specifically of Jesus Christ. Right? No human was able to be faithful to it because I kept the law. I kept every single tittle of it, as he says in the Gospels, right? Because there's nothing that I broke of the law of the covenant of God. I've done it, right? So now I have accomplished that faithfulness. I have accomplished that. Now there's a new deal, and the new deal is through me, right? And if we're faithful to God, then we receive another gift, and we're going to get that. um, To that, I should say. Um, So how do we participate? It's by dying with Christ. Because he says you have to have that faithfulness of Christ. And so you die. Right? And this is why the rituals of baptism that St. Paul emphasizes in many of his letters is die. Right? Die with Christ because that was his faithfulness. And rise with him. And that's why we immerse people in the water three times. It's a symbolic ritual to say we are dying, right? We are drowning in the waters of baptism, right? We go under, we were dead because we were under the law of sin. And the only access to being freed from the law of sin is through the person of Jesus Christ. So we will die in Christ. If the baptism was done not in the name of Christ, actually some of the early baptisms weren't even in the name of the Trinity, believe it or not. Some of the early baptisms were only in the name of Christ. We do it in the name of Trinity but because it has to at least be in Christ, because it is his specific death and resurrection that made us right with God. If I don't go under with him, I don't come out with him. Right? That is the new covenant. It is to put on the Lord Christ himself. That is why for 2,000 years we run to the font. Right? And, and it's sad that we've lost some beauty of the tradition that if you guys come on, on the Feast of the, the Cross, we do the processions and on the Feast of Palm Sunday, when we go and there's, there's stations around the church. There's one station that says that you do it before the end, the Basin, because the Basin was right in the entrance of the church, right, because it was a sign that when you walked in that you were reminded of your death and resurrection of Christ, that your participation here by grace was through your baptism. So the first thing you saw when you came in was that font. Right, and it was it could be above ground or it could be below ground, and we knew it right there. So in that part of the of the service, we stand there because that's where it should be. It should be a basin that's there, for whatever reasons we needed to do it separately. That's fine, but there is a beauty to being there to remind people of what was going on there. We have to die with Christ. That is the faithfulness of Christ that Paul has said. He immediately speaks of his faithfulness, says death, verse twenty-seven. So then, what becomes of our boasting? What exactly is it that we can show off? Nothing. It's excluded. On what basis? On what basis could we, could we show off? On works? No. But on the principle of faith. Right? I can't show off anything that I did. I didn't do anything. I didn't fix it. I can't show that off. I didn't keep the law. I can't show that off. If there's gonna be anything that I can take pride in, it's gonna be my faithfulness toward God. For we hold that a man is justified by faith, made right, restored to God, through faith, apart from the works of law. Right? That's why there's not a condition to baptism of being sinless. That's not that's not we baptize an adult today, right? There was not a come here and here's a condition. You have you have to have committed no error in this amount of time, or we can we can't do it to you. That's not a thing. Right? We can't do that. There's no way that we can have that faithfulness. Um, man is made right by faith, not by the company rules. It's not the company rules that makes a man right with God. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? This is a very difficult thing for the Jews that are in his audience to accept. Yes, of Gentiles also since God is one and he will make right, he will justify the circumcised on the grounds of their faith and the uncircumcised through their faith so say it is faith that unites the guy with the membership card and the guy without it it is their response to the person of Christ that is going to be what redeems them it's not going to be because of some list of things that they checked off to get done so I'm sorry, you, you have a card, that's nice, that's really, really nice. It's not what's making you good. So you can't say that these people who are not in your club are not the children of God. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Right, because now this imaginary Jew is saying, huh, wow, well actually God gave us the law, so are you throwing out the baby with the bathwater? Um, and he's saying, absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And he's gonna deal with that elsewhere. He's gonna say, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, this proves the law that what Christ is is saying. So there's no room for boasting or pride because it's not you who made yourself right with God. God's faithfulness was shown in himself through the Son. We're made righteous through Christ by our response for faithfulness. Faith for faith. There's no ego. The means of justification are now the same, whether Jew or Gentile. It is now <coughs> faith that justifies us. Here's where there's been a 4 century debate: is that Martin Luther took that section to say through faith alone, and that's where he gets his his, his sola feeding. Honestly, I don't think St. Paul would have a problem with that. I think what would be a problem is how you define faith, right? Because when Paul is speaking of this faithfulness, it encompasses the whole of Christ. It's not a declaration of, I like you, right? He's saying it's faithfulness for faithfulness, it's faith for faith, and that he's saying that the faithfulness you have must have is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, which means to die, in which case everyone would agree. Right? We would all agree on that. Right? And so, but it was not about my personal, just my personal being made right because I made a mistake. Right? This is about the whole condition of humanity, individually and and, and as a whole and communally, with God. And so this covenant has now been fulfilled by the faithfulness of Christ. Right? This, is, this is the, the, the goals of chapter 3. Um, and so, now Paul will turn to Abraham as an example to say, is this backed up by Scripture? Okay? So, I'll read chapter 4 in its entirety, and then I'll let because I'm really... and then uh, fix down. I know you guys might be bored by now. So, what will we say about Abraham? our forefather according to the flesh, right? This is the thing they boast in. If Abraham was made right, justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not in front of God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned, reckoned to him as righteousness. So he's saying, Abraham hadn't done anything but his response of faithfulness to God, Scripture tells us, he's quoting Scripture, because he's trying to make a point that Scripture agrees with him, says that it counted for him as being made right. But he hadn't done anything. Right? He's going to get on and say, he didn't even have a lawyer. Um, now, to one who works, his wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. So he's saying, if, if you're being made right with God, it's supposed to be a gift, it can't be because you did something. Because by definition, a gift is a gift. You don't do something to earn a gift. Okay. Right? And so he's saying, this isn't, this isn't what seems to have happened. Now to one with, uh, as is due. Uh, verse 5. And to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies, makes right, the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Okay? Somebody who just trusts this promise. Right. Not helping the promise along, not doing something that makes the promise true. That is faith. Right. Is that it's 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 one thing for someone to come to me and say, I promise you I'm going to make you prime minister. Okay, And it's another thing for me to say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to become prime minister. But to do that, um, I need to become a local MP first. Um, and so that means you need to go to law school, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do that. St. Paul is saying, the one who's really having a faithfulness thing is the one who just says, okay. And trusting that that gets done, right? Someone else is doing the work. He's not doing the work, right? Um, so also David pronounces a blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Um, And he's quoting from the Psalms, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. So, is this blessing pronounced only upon the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised? And he's saying, be careful with how you answer me. Because if you're going to say that God's niceness only applies to the car carriers, he's like, we're going to have a problem because we just said that Abraham had been justified. And and he's going to get into that, but Abraham didn't have a car. He's, He's setting up the trap for them. How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received circumcision as a sign or seal of the being made right, of righteousness, which he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. And likewise the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also follow the example of the faith which our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is heavy, that's why I'm I'm trying to use analogy. What he's saying is, this guy, God initiated making things right with him. God didn't choose him as the first card carrier because of anything he did. We don't know why God chose him, but it doesn't say anywhere that it's because Abraham was a good guy. He, he was a good guy. We don't know if that's why God chose him, or did he become good because of a God. We don't know. That's not even our concern. What Saint Paul is saying he didn't have the card. God gave him the card. God actually said, my relationship with you is good and right, and I am the one initiating with it. It's a grace. You didn't do anything for me to come out you. You didn't raise your hand and say, I don't like this system. Come help. You didn't raise your hand and say, people are abusing the cafeteria. Could you establish a system? You did nothing. You were just Abe. And God, being God, who is nice, right, went up to kind Abe and said, I am trying to make right. I am establishing a system, here's a card, here's what it means. But he was already counted by God as righteous, he was already being dealt with by God without the card, without the law, without the system. And so that's why St. Paul is saying, because of that, this guy is an example for the Jew and the Gentile, because he was not a card carrier, like the Gentiles. And he responded to God before there was a law. Abraham was made right by his belief in what God said. Because the covenant was God's faithfulness, your response to that. And Paul is saying, Abraham just responded. That's all he did. He didn't do anything. And because of that, he is now the father to everyone, Jew or Gentile. The promise to Abraham and his descendants that they should inherit the world did not come through the law, right? He's saying, so, yes, God promised Abraham, I'm going to make of you a father of many nations. That's what Abraham means, father of many nations, right? Um, Abraham just meant father of of a nation or a nation, and Abraham meant father of many nations, right? And he's saying, he became that, and there was no law yet. So it definitely wasn't because he did the rituals that you're boasting today. Because right? the Jew is saying, are you throwing out the law? And he's saying, well, it wasn't the law that made Abraham the father of many nations. This is from your Bible. Right? That's what he's saying to them. Right? Like, your Bible is saying it, not me. Your Bible is saying Abraham is going to follow many nations, not through the law. But because of being made right through his faith. Now, if the adherents, if the followers of the law, who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Because he's saying, you broke it. So if the only way of being made right is through the, through the covenant, through your membership card, well, we have a major problem, boys and girls, because you broke it. right? So you are coming back to that point. For the law brings wrath. But, there, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. Because the law actually is a big problem for you, because the law showed you that you're wronged, right? Because before, you might not have had the rule, you didn't know it was right or wrong, but now it's put for you in writing. Now you know, right? It's like the person like, oh, I didn't know, like it's my first time, officer, I'm so sorry. It's like, well, no, it's good. now and You know when it's on your file. If it happens again, you don't get to pull that I didn't know card. Not that it's happened to me before. Um, <laughs> but where there's no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all. What is he saying? In order for the promise... He's saying that, sorry, it depends on faith because... If it were by the works, then the the promise would be contingent on the works. But he's saying, but it is evident that that's not what happened. Right? He's saying, so it can't be that. Because Christ said, or God said, I have made you the Father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. Right? This is is the, the... Abraham is one of my absolute favorite biblical characters. It was on my short list of names for ordination, because Abraham is a beast. Like Abraham is an absolute beast, right? Is that you have got to realize, and this is why St. Paul is framing him, right? There's a reason why the Jews boast to Abraham. You're talking about a guy who's part of some religion that wasn't Jewish, who's hearing voices, right? Most of us today, if somebody's hearing voices, like you need to get that checked out, right? He's hearing a voice saying, "Hey, uh, you should leave where you're at," just, but yeah go, follow me, the, the voice, right? He didn't even say, um, can, can I get a name, please? Right, this is why he's saying Abraham was magnanimous in his faith, right? Where he says, okay, he has hope, where it makes no sense, the only thing he's going by is hope in this promise. He's not, that's why it's righteousness, his faithfulness, it's saying, your faithfulness, Abraham, is that you followed him, you responded to him, you had nothing to go by other than his promise nothing he was old right and he's being told you're gonna have you're gonna follow many nations like um this is why sarah laughs right and she goes right (laughs) literally right she goes "Mm mm-hmm i uh, i don't have a period anymore but literally that's what she says right i don't have a period anymore i can't have a baby right and so it's literally this faithfulness of God. It makes no sense to anybody. And that happened, right? This is what made Abraham, Abraham. Um, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old. The man was freaking ancient, right? And he is going, sorry for my language, he's traveling, he's voyaging, he's wandering, right? He literally, the poor guy, he gets sent to Egypt and doesn't even say why he's going to Egypt. He just says, go to Egypt. He's like, okay. He goes there, he kind of gets screwed over, right? The Pharaoh wants to sleep with his wife, right? And then it doesn't even say what he did in Egypt. It just says, after a while, it says, God says, now go. And he's like, okay, now we're going, right? Can you imagine the pressure on him from his wife from his people, from his family, of just saying, so uh, we're moving again. Why? I don't know. Where are we going? I'm actually not sure yet. <laughs> so, what direction are we going? We'll figure it out. That's got to be aggravating, right? On, on every level. And this is what Abraham has done. Um, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, right? I'm saying this faith that St. Paul's talking about has a lot of works in it. It's just that it's not a system of works. It's that he is responding with his whole being to the faithfulness of God. But the words that was reckoned to him or counted for him weren't written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I was saying, if you were enters into this covenant through this person of Abraham and that you were able to see that scripture has shown you that they were made right with God in their way in the Old Testament through the person of Abraham, then it shouldn't be weird to you that we are now also being made right through a person of Jesus Christ, right? He's trying to say this shouldn't be that foreign to you. This occurred in history, in fact, in your history, in your tradition. This already occurred. This isn't strange. So he's, this is brilliant. Right? Like, St. Paul is not just pulling out random things to convince people of something. He's had to work this out for himself. Because remember, this was Paul's dilemma. How, how do I leave this conviction that I have about Judaism and say that this person, Jesus, is who he is? And so he first met Christ. This is Paul telling his own story, actually. Because he first meets Christ, too. Right and and sees him and he's like, okay, I believe. I don't know what to do. Right, I don't know what to do with this. Right, and so he's made right with God through Jesus Christ, literally. Right, and we were too, but in an even more sense because he physically beheld, right, and saw, and he got made right, and so he's now worked it out to saying, no, 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 this isn't a contradiction. This isn't a contradiction. And so it's really important for us, I think, to realize our rightness with God is not by our works. And I think, I think in, in traditional Christianity, we sometimes fall into this ourselves too. I actually think that um, we become car carriers, right? Like we, we hold our badge, right? And say, I'm, I'm Christian. And so I'm, I'm right or I'm good, one Um And that's not, that's not the point is there merit from our card yes there is but you can lose that card you can rip up that card you can miss the train but thankfully it's not about you right it's 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 about him right the one who has made us right is him our life is in him our relation to god is through him because if we live in the faithfulness of jesus christ he says Believe me, because if you do, I am going to give you me, and I'm going to give you me through participation in me, right, which we have eucharistically, and I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to live in you, literally. I am going to make myself one with you. This relationship is restored personally, and communally. Now you can access me directly, because the new covenant that Jeremiah speaks about says, no longer will you need someone to say, behold, God, for I myself will write it on your hearts. I myself will speak to you. And communally, in the coming down of the Holy Spirit upon the whole church. And so our justification, our being made right, is by responding to that. Of saying, Amen, I believe it is true. Right? And then to be faithful, to take that whole thing and to live it. That is where I think we Christians have fallen short. Right? Today, I think what St. Paul said to those Romans, I think he could say to us. Of saying, when people look at you, do they see the faithfulness of God? If somebody sees your membership card, do they hate you for it? Or do they wish they could become it? Like God wishes everybody would have it. Because God does want everyone to have it, right? And that's why, regardless of what rituals we use to express our faithfulness back, we have to express our faithfulness back, right? That's, that's where the point of entry is, right? And that's where God meets man. This is faith for faith. And glory be to God for good many. Anyway. Um. Comments or questions? is actually out of this time. Me. Um. Sorry. Okay. So St. Paul is saying that your righteousness is um, counted through your faith, not your works. Um. So, like for example, just the modern situation. Uh, some people are concerned. You know, taking uh, communion, um, because of uh, viruses, right? So is that the issue of faith, is that the issue of your works, or is issue of neither. That's missing the point altogether. And, and I'm glad you said it. I don't mean to be like a jerk about it, yeah. because he is, I'm not saying, he's not talking about Mina's personal goodness right now. He's talking, he's talking about the whole condition of humanity, saying you were estranged from God, you broke the covenant. Mm-hmm. God no longer had his own people because we all went astray. That's why he said none is whole, all have gone astray. So he's speaking not about what makes you a good guy. He's saying the restoration, the making right, the justification mm-hmm. of humanity to God is in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And originally it was in the covenant. And it still is. It's just a new one. Okay, right. Yeah. So we. Was he holding up Abraham as a model for people, or was he using it to prove the point you just... Both. He's saying that he's the archetype of everybody. So I, he's like, I'm setting you up as a model for what I'm telling you, okay. but actually, strictly speaking, factually, he really was. Okay. So, to the extent that Abraham's a model, like his faithfulness is expressed through action and following... Seeking after righteousness, you might say, being patient and being obedient and so forth, right? So, mm-hmm. so, in some way, there's a distinction between manifesting some amount of virtues, following God, being very active, right? And then, and then, something he's saying, be added. faithful, yeah. as and to Christ, yeah, right? And so, that means literally look at Christ and be that, okay, which demands so much. So, when when does being like Christ transition from an active thing you're doing and through adherence? And when does it become works that you're not justified by? So he's saying that that is what faithfulness is. I, yeah. Right. So that it's not, it's not it's never gonna become an issue of and therefore these works became necessary as a standalone thing. Right? Basically, what I'm trying to say is instead of looking at an arrow coming down from something that says faith here and works here, right? is have an arrow that comes down because faith is important. They're saying faithfulness, which includes faith. And in the topics that come underneath it are a whole bunch of things, one of which is works. And that's why Paul is saying what you need is this, this faithfulness, right? And that comes with it with a whole bunch because it'll never be, and he said that, It'll never be just by declaring it, right? Because if it was, it would be like saying, I'm good, I have a car, and he's saying, but it's not. That car came with a meaning, right? Abraham is that meaning, look what Abraham did. Abraham didn't just say, yeah, you're cool, I like you. Abraham followed, Abraham did all of these, these things. That's why like, it's unfortunate for us that Paul didn't get deeper into what is faith. Um, James ended up having to deal with that problem where people did take it in that direction. So, works won't justify you by faith, but works could be an example of your faith and your faith. Well, I maybe mean, it's like works justified through your faith. So you believe, if you truly believe in God, if you actually believe in God, not just like an intellectual concept, but in, in fact, just as Abraham did, you would do. Mm-hmm. You would believe and do, and there wouldn't be this dichotomy. You right. just do it. I would say works are one of the manifestations of your faithfulness, right? And so it's like, to use the marriage analogy, it doesn't suffice one to say, I am faithful and true to you. I like you. You have to be faithful and true. Define faithful and true. Good luck, right? Because if you can't have a list, right? It's like if, if, if you chose the game over your anniversary dinner, God have mercy sent you. Um, <laughs> Were you faithful? Right. One spouse might say no. Another spouse might be like, "Yeah, it's okay. He loves the game." Right. Like, and so was I an error? And that's why he's saying, the law mattered, but the law isn't the thing. This is why it's so brilliant and it's so important. Right. Where he's saying the law showed you. So imagine he's like, imagine if he was a married couple. To use that analogy again, imagine if there's a married couple. You got together as a as a couple and said, "Here's our list of rules." that show we're in relationship. It's like, okay. So then suddenly you have these things that maybe you were allowed to do. Actually, we had this issue, I'm living, I come from a monastic community, where whenever people would argue with something like, please don't talk to the bishop, because then there will be rules. Um, because, <laughs> because when the rule is not there, we can deal with each other in love, where maybe I need to go somewhere and it's gonna be okay. But now that the rules okay, now I must be there Tuesday night, period, right? And so, whereas before that, I was already gonna be there Tuesday night, right? But if there was an emergency and I couldn't, I was sick for, them, for example. Now you made it a rule, and now you made it about the rule. It's no longer about the relationship, right? And that's why Paul talking. Saying your relationship was ruined. Faithfulness is a is in the context of relationship, right? That's that's the part that I think is what changes everything. I'm in a relationship. And relationships are more than agreed statements, right? And so it can't be reduced to your terms and regulations. It's not a prenuptial agreement, right? Um, and it's also not just a bunch of deeds, right? Because on the flip side, You could have a guy who buys gifts every week for his wife that are really expensive and there's a horrible listener. And so at one point, my wife would be like, could you just stop buying it and just listen to me for 10 minutes? I would rather that than your gifts. Whereas if the contract had said, like, buy, 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 right? People who love each other buy stuff, right? Then it's like, okay, this isn't going to work for me. Where's your spirit, right? And so that's why it's like, they're they're not disconnected, I'd rather the, the the subheading faithfulness and and underneath it is the Jesus, which is brutal brutally difficult. Maybe is a point of clarification, it's been a while since I Genesis. Mm-hmm. But Abraham after leaving Egypt, he's he he, to, he entered a covenant unto God under a tree, and that's when he was circumcised, correct? Is it the covenant? First. Yes, so he the actual covenant comes after the incidents that, that Paul is talking about, yes. and that's why he's talking about that incident. And then obviously in the second covenant, uh, with Moses on Mount Horeb, Sinai and third covenant, would be Jesus who died on a tree, in that case that all goes back. Theoretically. You could actually number them more if you like, in the sense that... He made multiple conversations with Abraham. Actually, not just two. There's, there's at least three. Yes. Um, because Abraham gets restless, and then he does it again. Actually, with King Solomon, um, and he does it again with other kings. So I mean, we could get into more numeric. Whereas, more as there was one sense of covenant, Moses was the was the the formalizing mm-hmm. of the here's the code of conduct that comes with your membership card. That's I mean that there was developments that came, right, because some of those laws were from God, and some of those were by by man, right, because then they went and made their own rules about Sabbath, right, like, so there was this progression, but one covenant, right, one general covenant with this people of God saying, I will be in a particular relationship with you, you card bearers, the mark of our relationship is your card, I am in a specific relationship with you. Right? And that's why now the new issue was the Jews saying, no, God doesn't like these other people. And Paul saying, yes, he does. Your card is gone. Matthew. Chapter 3, he says, is God unjust to inflicts wrath? And mm-hmm. In the first two chapters, he talks a lot about wrath. Mm-hmm. My question is, does that still exist now? And if it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. then why in the church services we have a lot of, you know, remove your wrath from us, for example. That's one of the lines. Because there is definitely and, wrath. <laughs> so can you yeah. explain it? Like when does it apply? What is it? Yeah, so here he's being sarcastic, right? Because here he's saying, are you he's he's saying you're asking is God unjustly wrathful at me if you're also claiming that my badness makes him look good, right? That was what the Jews were were hypothetically saying to him, right? So he's saying that context. But God's attitude towards sin has never changed, right? So it's not a wrath against persons, right? It's It's a wrath against evil. And so the confrontation because actually Saint Paul, that's why I'm fatically saying, yes, he's talking about an eschatological end of times, you're gonna meet your maker and you're gonna have a reckoning. Um, because God doesn't deal well with that. Right? That's why in the psalm it says for whom he loves he chastises his sons. Um, or for example, like it, it wouldn't be a just God if he was okay with sin. Right? The problem though is that God doesn't have emotions. So we use the word wrath as though God's boiling and, and stuff like that. that that doesn't happen in God because he's not he doesn't have emotions the way that we have these God only has attributes he doesn't ha- he only has absolutes in him he doesn't have relative in him right and so he doesn't he can't deliberate right he can't wrestle with himself but we use these expressions to make sense of God right like God doesn't repent even though we use the word right repent meaning change of of mind. Right? He doesn't change his mind. Right? Like there's 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 not even time in him. Time is relative. Right? So his wrath is a state that he has in confrontation with non-holiness. And so his wrath is always gonna come out when unrighteousness is put into him. Right? It's like darkness, the minute touched by light, is obliterated. That's the wrath of God they can't coexist. It is impossible. Right? So how does God deal with our unrighteousness? There's all sorts of theories about that. Right? But that is the question Paul's asking, is how does God make us right? And the orthodox answer is through Christ, not just orthodox, through the sacraments of saying, here's an access point God gave us to himself because only he can make us right. Right? That's why even in, in the absolutions we read, and confession, It is never the priest saying, I hereby the power invested in me by the Holy Ghost, pronounce now it's, we don't ever say that. Right? We say, you, God, who forgives sin, you said to the priest, you said to the apostles, to bind them loose. I don't dare to do it. Only because you said that, am I asking you for you to absolve, for you to remit, for you, we don't, it's never I in any of the mysteries. Right? Because it's, it's literally saying, God, you're the only fixer. You're the only fixer. Even until this day. That's how God deals with his wrath. So, when we say certain prayers about the wrath of God, um, the only one that comes to mind in the formal prayers is Vespers. Um, Vespers was an evolution of the, the Book of Hours, the Igbeah, the Orlogian. And that has a monastic root to it. And that doesn't make it of less value to me. But I think what needs to be understood is that in a relationship of love, sometimes we're going to view ourselves that way. There would be a problem of the other parties demanding it. So for example, um, I'm sorry that using adultery as an example, it's just, it just works because God uses it for relationship. But let's say I shoot on my wife. My wife might forgive me, right? But because I feel so wrong about it, I might keep coming to her, being like, "I'm scum, I'm dirt, I don't deserve it. Like, I don't deserve your love, um, for I am this and that and the other thing." That's okay. If I mean it, right? It might get old at some point, right? Like, can we can we move on, um, and have a conversation? But if it's genuine from the heart, that's valid. So some of those prayers come from that place, right? Of saying. I deserve your wrath because I know who I am. Right? And there's, I think that's very pious to say. Because I think it's become a little bit taboo for some reason today to talk about God having wrath, where we want it to be very, like, no, God only likes you and whatever you do, you're just he just loves you. And that's true. He does always love you. He also hates evil. And we can't kind of pretend that doesn't Jesus to but Just clarify that, if I am doing evil, does that mean he doesn't like me? No, he hates evil. Okay, so how do we separate those two? Because he's saying, you know, you're building up wrath in the day of wrath. Mm-hmm. Right? being ungodly. So how do we separate that? Like, the person from the evil. I don't want to go there. Because um, <laughs> that's caused so much controversy This in the church. Of what does he do? Does he obliterate? Does he fix? Does he chastise? I'm not giving my position. Does he save everyone? Like, that, that very question has been the stuff of centuries. And I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Right? And so that's why Paul's saying, don't do, look at that instead. Because Paul doesn't even bring up the wrath to say, haha, cower and tremble. He's saying, the covenant is saying, be faithful to the faithful one. Right? And if you do that, you're good. Literally, he's saying that. If you do that, you're the KOC. Right? And so that would be a more positive way to do it because we are going to fall short. And that's why Paul says, we are all under sin. I wish to do good and then I don't. And I'm the guy who's yelling at you all. Right? And so we're all we're all gonna fall short. But it's, but his point is, thankfully God is righteous. And not in the sixty cents. Mina. That, that's what we would say is synergy. So Paul is saying God initiated already in time. So in a sense, it's always God first because he already did. Um, but that I respond in time also to his faithfulness, right? When I encounter the person of Jesus Christ, right? That's why, like, it has to start with Christ, I think. He is the one mediator, right, between God and man. And that if that's where we start, then it's, it's, it will always be that God is faithful first. Always. So that's his gift to you, to believe in him or to trust him. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. It's, it's
0: that he already made the initiative of relationship. So your call is, do you want to be in relationship? It's there. Right? Like he's like, I've already initiated it. I've, I've already put my hand out. So now, do you, do you want to take mine? That requires your faithful response of saying, I trust you. That's why like, I, Romans really changed my, my concept of faithfulness. I think it's even more relevant to us in this modern context than ever before. Because being faithful, I think, right now is hard. Very hard. So if you're falling short, mm-hmm. and you're not trusting enough. So that's my fault, or is not giving me enough grace, and I should ask for more. Not as a lawyer for God, but I would obviously the problem is with us. Um, only because I believe He's perfect, right? So, and I, and I know what you're asking, I don't disagree, but it would it would end up being us. But that's part of relation, right? Like part of relationship. Like whenever I'm dealing as a person who was almost atheist at one point. I come back to two things. There are two things that help a person's doubt, whether it's about faith or faithfulness. Knowledge and experience, both. If I don't know the person, I might have wrong expectations. If people think I'm good at texting, I'm not. Right? So if people have this expectation, they message AP that he's going to sit back, and like, well, he's not faithful to his relationship, they're right. But that's not one of my characteristics. <laughs> Right, And so, there, there's a mistaken knowledge there about who I am. But their experience will have helped them too. <laughs> right? And so it's the same thing with God, where it's like, I thought He was going to respond this way. Right? That's why it's Christ first to me, Bible second. Right? Because the Bible is the, is the this story of man's interaction with God. Right? So from it, I can start to get data to take from. About other people's experiences, as both knowledge and experience, there too, right? Of being like, oh, when I when I read Abraham, um, it says Abraham was fourscore four, and six years old. He was eighty-six when God had spoken these things to him. The next verse starts with, and Abraham was ninety and nine years when the Lord came and said this. way, like, it was a thirteen-year gap between that last instruction. <laughs> Whereas, when I stand to pray, I'm waiting for God to text me back immediately. (laughs) Right? So, if the great Abraham waited 13 years, why do I think that God is going to, on the spot, on demand, say things to me? Because it means that it gives me, I now want data to be like, oh, that's not how he does things. Right? But if I didn't know that, and I'm just judging him by my construct of God, I think it's the shift of treating God as a what to treating God as a who. If I start treating God as a who, then now I'm dealing with somebody who has attributes and personality characteristics. And then, then I'll realize that it's that my lack of ability to be faithful is part of my own weakness. But the beauty is, He's not mad at us for that. Right? Like, God doesn't be like, well, you thought I was going to do this. You're dumb. He doesn't do that. Right? Where He's just like, I, I was there. You just you were demanding to see me in this way. Say like the way we treat normal people from day to day. Right? Thinking, oh they're just saying that because they want this and maybe that person didn't mean that at all. But we've decided it, Right? Where we we we, we have preformed formed sometimes ways of, of judging people or our interactions. So knowledge and experience. A great question. Okay. Um so when he's talking about um the um, the law, like the people, like people following laws. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about all of the Jews, because oh. they're trying to make the point that we follow the code of conduct, so we're good, mm-hmm. right? These are like the people today who are like, I fasted, I prayed, I gave my tithes, I'm good with God.